Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, that is page 825 in the Black Church Bibles. Our study through the Gospel of Matthew continues this morning with Jesus giving a parable on the kingdom in response to a question that Peter asked just a few verses earlier that we considered last week. And so we want to study this morning Matthew chapter 20 verses 1 through 16 and I'd ask the congregation once again to stand please for the reading of God's word let's hear the word of the Lord together for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day he sent them into his vineyard And going about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. Amen. May God add his blessing today to the reading and preaching of his word. Please be seated. What is the kingdom of God like? How would you describe the kingdom of God? Because if you notice, this is a parable about the kingdom, about the kingdom of God, or as Matthew usually says, the kingdom of heaven. Let me remind you, the kingdom of God is God's redemptive rule, his redemptive reign over his people. We enter now into God's kingdom through faith in Christ, and we will be in God's kingdom forever. God's kingdom is eternal. Right now, the kingdom of God exists um, in the midst of the kingdom of darkness, the, the kingdoms of this world. But one day, when Christ returns, all other kingdoms will be destroyed and the kingdom of God will remain. And so the question on the table this morning that I pose to you is, what is the kingdom of God like? How would you describe it? In fact, if I gave you just one word to describe it, and you had to complete this sentence, 
The, the kingdom of God is a kingdom of blank. What word would you use? It's a kingdom of love. It's a kingdom of peace. Those descriptions are understandable, and I think an argument can be made for those. But the teaching of this parable in Matthew 20 is that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of grace. It's a kingdom of grace. Let me give you a definition for grace. I, this is, I got this from Jerry Bridges. He, he, he points out that God actually, or the Bible talks about grace, um, two different uh, manifestations of grace, of God's grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor to us through Christ, whereby salvation and all other blessings are freely given to us. Okay, so that's God's unmerited favor. It's his saving favor to those who actually deserve his wrath. And then also in, in the life of the Christian, grace is God's divine assistance to us through the Holy Spirit. Okay, so that's what we're talking about today, grace. God is a gracious God. We heard that in Psalm 145, didn't we? We heard it in Psalm 103 recently. God is a gracious God. The Bible tells, speaks of that, celebrates it all over the place. The grace of God. And so, because God is a gracious God, the kingdom of God is a kingdom of grace. The kingdom of God operates on the principle of grace and not merit. Right? There's the contrast. The kingdom of God operates on grace and not on your merits. And so this morning we entered a new chapter in Matthew's gospel, right? But our text today actually flows right out of the text last week. Notice how verse 1 here of chapter 20 begins with the word for, right? And, and it's kind of a good time to remind ourselves that the chapter divisions are not original, right, with Matthew. or They're not inspired. <laughs> they're, they're just things that were put in there later to try to help us locate passages, So don't let the start of a new chapter cause you to fail to make the connection here with what has just happened in chapter 19 that we considered last week. And just allow your eyes once again to go up to verse 27 of chapter 19. There Peter said in reply, see we have left everything and followed you. Right? He's saying this to Jesus. What then will we have? That was Peter's question. And and if you remember Jesus had just Well, they had witnessed it, right? For one, this rich young ruler, this rich young man. And Jesus had told that that young man to go sell all his possessions and come and follow him and he will have eternal life. But the man turned away in great sorrow. He couldn't give give up all his possessions. He couldn't get himself to, to give up his stuff to follow Christ. And so he left sorrowful. And so then Jesus said... It is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of of heaven, the kingdom of God. And it was in in that context then that Peter says this in verse 27. He says, we, and it was emphatic, we have left all to follow you, right? We did what this guy couldn't do. So what will we have? And so I kind of sympathize with Peter. I get why he's asking the question, right? Right? 
because in, in many ways they had left everything to follow him. But we'd also have to, have to say, it, it seems like Peter was thinking in terms of merit, right? It seems like he had, had this mindset of that he related to God based on merit. I've left everything and now God will bless me. And so Jesus first answers Peter, Peter's question at the end of chapter 19 by assuring Peter and the other apostles that indeed there are great rewards for following Christ. Remember, the blessings are going to far outweigh whatever it costs you to follow Christ. But there's more to the answer. Jesus doesn't want Peter to, he doesn't want to leave Peter in this perhaps uh, mindset of, of merit and so it's like he's continuing and saying, Peter, don't think that God operates on a merit scale. Like, you do this much so that God will bless you an equal amount. Like, it's tick for tack. And so now in chapter 20, he gives this parable to keep answering Peter's question by explaining that the kingdom of God operates on grace, not on merit. In the kingdom of God, God deals with his people. He deals with us according to grace and not merit. And we need to understand that not only in our initial salvation, and I think but by God's grace, many of us get that, right? We, we, yes, we're sinners saved by grace alone, through, through Christ alone. Not only in our initial salvation does God deal with us according to grace, but, but throughout all of our lives as well. And so this parable will help remind us of that. That our salvation is because of God's grace and our entire Christian lives are to be lived on the basis of God's grace. God's kingdom is a kingdom of grace. And as we study this parable this morning, I want to point out two things about God and his grace. Number one, God is very generous in giving grace. God is very generous in giving grace. I love the passages in the Bible that talk about he lavishes us with blessings, every spiritual blessing or, or abounding grace, right? Where sin increased, grace abounds all the more. Or it talks about Good measure, overflowing, right? All these pictures of God just being so generous in grace. Not just, um, eh. no, generous. And we see that in this parable as well. Look at verse 1 again. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. We've already considered four, right? Jesus is continuing this thought. So get the picture here. The master of the house is this wealthy landowner. Right? And you probably already suspect this, right? But he represents God. And so this master of the house, he goes out early because he has this property that needs tended, and he goes out early to hire laborers for his vineyard. And this would have been a very familiar scene to the disciples and to all who would hear this in Jesus' day, right? Because this is how a lot of their economy operated, right? Guys that were, um, you know, just kind of your common laborers. They would gather where, you know, in certain places, I guess kind of like the union halls or whatever, right? And, uh, and, and these wealthy landowners would go out at the beginning of the day and hire them for that day, 
one day at a time, and then they'd be paid at the end of the day. And this was like a very um, crucial uh, arrangement because most of these laborers, I mean, they were literally, what's that expression, living hand to, hand to mouth or something, right? I mean, they, were, they needed to work that day to go buy food for that night. And so that's the picture that Jesus sets here. And again, he uses a vineyard, another a setting they've been very familiar with, let alone it has a lot of Old Testament imagery about the people of God. And so you've got these workers, these common laborers, they're kind of on the lowest rung of, of the economic scale. And so they are completely dependent on getting hired. They've got to feed their families. And the workday uh, for them would begin at 6 a.m. Right? So when... Just whenever you're doing the math in this, just start at 6 a.m., right? So the third hour is going to be 9 a.m. And, and on and on and on, right? And so the, the workday at this point would be like a 12-hour workday, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., okay? Verse 2, after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And denarius was the, the kind of accepted day's wage for a laborer. And again, this is what would provide their sustenance for that day. And, and this is, even, Scripture even talks about this, how important this is. Uh, you might jot this reference down. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 14. In the law, God says, You shall not oppress a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your brothers or one of the sojourners who are in your land within your towns. Verse 15 You shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets, for he is poor and counts on it, lest he cry against you to the Lord and you be guilty of sin. Okay, so you see how important it was that that these guys get hired and that they get paid right away. They don't have a bank account, they don't have a nest egg, and there's no credit cards, right? Okay, so that's what has happened. This, This wealthy landowner's gone out, He's hired guys at the beginning of the day. But then look at what happens the rest of the parable. Going out, verse 3, about the third hour, so 9 a.m. now, he sees others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever's right I will give you. He doesn't specify it's going to be a denarius. He just says, whatever's right I'll give you. So they went. How do you think they felt about getting hired? They were probably pretty thankful, weren't they? Right? I mean, they needed that, that job. And, and for whatever reason, they hadn't gotten hired at the beginning of the day. Maybe it was starting to, starting to be discouraging. But now they've been hired now. So they went. But then verse 5, going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he, the landowner, did the same. So here he's, he's gone again. He's gone again at noon. He's gone again at 3 p.m. And he keeps hiring more people. <laughs> it's kind of a little odd, isn't it? Verse 6, it gets really interesting. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing. Now remember, 12-hour work week, or work day, Right? So what, what time are we at now? Anybody tracking with me? We're at 5 o'clock. How many hours are there left in the, in the day to work? One hour. 
He's gone out right at the end of the workday, one hour left. And yet he's still hiring people. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. So see, again, it's not that they're lazy. They've just been, they haven't been hired. Maybe they, maybe they you know, were the, were the weaklings of the group, right? Maybe they, other guys looked at them and said, ah, you know, you're not, you don't have much to offer. You're not going to be a good worker. You're... And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. So let me ask you a question. Why would the owner be doing this? Why would he go out and hire guys when there's just like three hours left and when there's one hour left? Is he going to get a lot of work out of those guys? No. So he's not doing this because, oh, I just have so much work and I, you know. No, what we're going to see is he's doing this for them. This landowner keeps seeing people who need work, and so he keeps bringing them on. It's not that he needs more workers. It's that the workers need work in order to provide for their families. And now the parable is going to hone in on, right, we've had all these different groups, but really now the parable is going to hone in on the first group that was hired and the last group that was hired. And if you remember, that's what Jesus has been talking about, right? He said that um, in verse 30 at the end of of chapter 19, um, the last will be first and the first will be last. He's going to repeat that in verse 16 at the end of this parable. So we're, we're really just kind of honing in on the first group and the last group now, okay? Verse 8. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, right? That was what they would typically do. You get paid that day, like I said. He's doing it through the foreman here. But then here's a little curveball, beginning with the last and up to the first. That was kind of apparently an unconventional way of doing it. The last group gets paid first. But again, that's kind of the theme we've been seeing here, right? And it sets, up the, it sets up the story. It sets up the point. Verse 9. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, right? So these are the ones who were hired at 5 o'clock. These are the ones who, who only worked one hour once it was nice and cool. Or somewhat cool. What did they get? Each of them received a denarius. How much did a denarius pay for? That was a whole day's wage. They each received a whole day, even though they only worked one hour. The, the, the landowner paid them for a whole, day, a whole day of work. So what do we already see about this landowner? He is generous. He is compassionate. He didn't pay them according to what they had earned. Rather, he paid them according to their need. He looked at these guys and he knew they had families. He knew they really needed a denarius so that they could buy enough food. And so he paid them a whole denarius. You see how this is just reminding us of the character of God, how generous God is. That he is generous in grace. 
We don't deserve anything from him, right? We are sinners who have rebelled against him and, and we've, we've turned our back and, and, and lived for ourselves rather than living for him and we've scorned the, the, his kindness that he's given us and giving us life and creation. And yet he's so generous. He sees us in our need. He knows we're dead in our sins. He knows we need to be reconciled to him. And so he seeks us out. And rescues us. And, it, and he, he lavishes grace on us. And again, grace is unmerited, right? There's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And the Bible teaches that even our faith to believe in Christ is a gift from God. Ephesians 2, Titus 3. Again, remember what we studied last time. With man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And so this parable is, is just reinforcing this principle of grace. And, and, and don't get hung up on the fact that these guys are working. The parable is not about um, earning anything. The the workers in this parable are not working for their salvation. Rather, they are disciples who have entered into the kingdom. And yes, they're working, but the point is that they're the point is not that they work for their wage. The point is the generosity of the of the landowner who gives them what they need. Who gives them according to their need and not according to what they've earned. And again, that, that's the, the good news of the gospel, isn't it? The, the, the good news of the gospel begins with the, the, the sobering news that we, are all, we all fall short. We are all separated from God because of our sin. There's nothing that we can do to pay for our sins. We've incurred a sin debt that we have no hope of repaying. Any kind of righteous deeds, any kind of, of religious uh, actions just like filthy rags before a holy God. And so there's nothing that we can do to make ourselves right with God. There's nothing we can do to earn his favor on our own. But yet God is rich in mercy and grace. And so he sent his son to do what we could not do. To live a perfect life under God's law. To, to secure the righteousness, the, the perfection that we need in order to be in the presence of God And then, Jesus, though he was sinless, willingly died on the cross as a a lawbreaker, as a sinner. He took upon himself all all the guilt and sin of his people. And so the good news of the gospel is that everyone who humbles themselves recognizes their bankruptcy, recognizes their great need, and calls upon God and says, God, please have mercy I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I believe that you sent Jesus. I believe that he is that Savior. Please rescue me. Everyone who who calls upon the name of the Lord is saved. And and we mentioned this last week, but it's all of God. There's nothing we do to... It's not, well, God, I just need you to to do this much and I'll try to fill in the rest. Or, God, I, I can get halfway to you and can you bring me the rest of the way home? No, it's all of God. 
Because all we contribute to our, to our salvation is our sin and our need. But God, in, in his grace, he forgives us in Christ and he does not give us what we have earned, which is the wrath of God. Rather, he gives us what he graciously lavishes on us and that is full pardon, reconciliation, uh, forgiveness of sins, new life in Christ, adoption into his family, eternal life. Just again, like we considered earlier, all the blessings, every spiritual blessing in Christ, Ephesians 1. And not only that, but then he com- commits himself to us throughout our life and until Christ returns, that he's gonna, he comes and, d- and dwells us, he's going to be with us, he's going to provide everything we need for life and godliness. He's going to continue to forgive. He's going to continue to lavish grace. He's going to continue to strengthen us and help us to grow in our walk with him. And so we can't earn anything from God. It's apart from his grace. We, and again, I, I think this is what Peter needed to be reminded of or taught, clarified in his thinking. We can't earn blessings from God. God chooses to bless because he is a gracious God. So that's the first part here. Not, God is very generous in giving grace. But not only that, we see something else about God from this parable. Secondly, God is sovereign in giving grace. God is sovereign in giving grace. Verse 10. So again, what... We've seen that the last group got paid a whole denarius, right? They got paid according to their needs, not according to what they had earned. And so now that we fast forward, right, to the, the group that was hired first in verse 10. They thought they would receive more. Because each of this last group received a denarius, verse 11. Oh, excuse me, but the end of verse 10. But each of them also received a denarius. So this this group that was hired at the very beginning, 6 a.m., they see the last group that's hired at uh, 5 p.m., they see them get a denarius, and so they're thinking to themselves, wow, this is great. We're getting like a bonus today. If he gave these guys a whole day's wage just for that last hour, we've been out here 12 hours. Imagine what we're going to get. This is going to be great. But then the, the twist, the, the shock that parables often have comes in, well, each of them also received a denarius. They got the same thing. Verse 11, look at their re- response to that. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. So they're grumbling, they're complaining. They're, they're jealous. They're greedy. And, and, and trust me, I understand there's a part of us that we can kind of maybe sympathize with them or maybe, you, know, you may find yourself like siding with them a little bit, I don't know. But, but yet, we're going to see, no, they're, they're not content. They're not happy 
with what God has given them, with what this landowner has given them. They're not happy that their need has been met. They're not happy and satisfied that they're able to provide for their families. They're jealous. They're jealous because God was generous. They're jealous because this landowner was generous. Uh, another parable that kind of has a similar twist to it, a similar theme to it, is probably one you're very familiar with, the parable of, we, we say the prodigal son, right? The parable of the lost son. You know, and that's a beautiful story about, about the, the son that you know, wastes his inheritance and, the, and, and gets in the pigsty in the depths of it, then comes back and the father just runs to meet him, right? And lavishes uh, love on him. And, and you know, he was going to try to just be a servant. And he's like, no, 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 you're my, you're my son. He puts the ring on him, puts the robe on him, throws a party for him. Great story. But you know how the rest of the parable goes, right? There was an older brother, who hadn't left, who, who had stayed there working for his father. And how did he respond to the father's forgiveness and, and, and grace to the younger son? He was mad, right? He, would, he refused to go into the party. He would not celebrate with his brother who's been, who was lost and now is found. He's mad at the father. You've been unfair, Where's my party? Where's my fattened calf or pig or whatever it was, right? He resents the father's generosity. That's the same kind of thing we have going on here. And we're going to, I think, see a similar application to the original hearers. Let's continue in Matthew 20, verse 13. How is the landowner going to reply to these group that are grumbling now? He replied to one of them, so I guess he maybe found the one who's grumbling the, the loudest or the one who kind of was the ringleader of the, of the gang and says, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I gave to you. Look at verse 15. Am the landowner saying, right? Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. See what he's saying? Why are you guys resentful that I'm generous in grace? He did what the landowner did. He was fair. He was just. He did what he had promised to do to do to them he had been gracious to them to hire them interesting i learned this week that matthew whenever he uses that word friend um, in one of his stories it it it's it's a situation where that person is has is going to get shamed right they've, they've said something that's that's wrong that's that's not correct and it's like you know, it's kind of like a loving, gentle way of correcting them. Friend, what are you doing? I did you no wrong. I was fair. You agreed to these terms. And you see, this is showing us God's sovereign grace. Here's a, defini- a good definition of sovereign grace I heard this week. Right? We throw around that word a lot, maybe sovereign grace. God gives grace to whomever he wants, whenever he wants, and in whatever measure he wants. That's sovereign grace. 
God gives grace to whomever he wants, whenever he wants, in whatever measure he wants. That's what the scripture teaches. Romans 9, I've been, I've been trying to study that this week in, as a kind of a, a, a corollary text to this. That's what Romans 9 is teaching. God's sovereignty in grace. In, He's sovereign in his grace. Romans 9.15, God says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And the, the text goes on to say that God chooses to give what he wills to whomever he wills and when he wills it. And so just like the, the uh, parable of the lost son I think the immediate application for um, Jesus' hearers was the Gentiles, right? I think it was another warning to the Jews to not presume upon their standing with God, right? Jesus has been teaching them uh, God is is creating a new people of God, (laughs) Right? You can't just rest on your, your ancestry. You can't just rest on your, your, your keeping of the law. No, it's going to be through me. And, and God was going to save many Jews through Christ, but he was also going to graft in the Gentiles, wasn't he? And you know that for many of the Jews, that was going to be very hard for them to accept. Wait, what? Gentiles, really? Right? I mean, you know, you study in Acts, you see what God had to do to even show Peter that, right? And so that's, that's a, 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 an immediate application of this parable. The Gentiles are going to be those who come in kind of late to the game, right? They're going to be kind of like those workers that, that came in toward the end of the day. Because yes, salvation did go to the Jews first and let alone they were the ones who had been given all the promises about the coming Messiah and about the, covenant, the covenants, right? But God is going to save them, going to save the Gentiles as well to show the glories of his grace as, as the gospel goes forth now into every tribe, tongue, and nation. And the Gentiles are going to be saved just like those early Jews were saved through faith in Christ alone, by God's grace alone. And so that was, I think, a main application for them. But I have a a few takeaways for us as we kind of wrap this up. I have three. Three takeaways or three responses, I guess you could say, to the text today. Number one, Let us humbly praise and thank God for his abounding grace to us. Let us humbly praise and thank God for his abounding grace to us. Man, I love the name of our church, right? It should remind us all the time that God's grace has abounded to us. We are all like that last group Right? No matter if you were saved at a young age or an older age, we're all like the, those 11th hour people. As Gentiles, we've been grafted in, and God didn't need to save anyone, and certainly he didn't need to save us. 
So whether you were saved later in life as an adult, whether you were blessed to grow up in a Christian home and God saved you, either way it was a a mighty act of his grace. So remember that. Your salvation is completely due to God's grace. May we never presume upon God's grace. Like, well, you know, of course he was supposed to save me. No. No, it's by his grace. God in his amazing grace, the Bible teaches, set his love on us, on those of us who are saved. He set his love on you. Get this, before the foundation of the world. Keep reading in Ephesians 1, that's what it says. He set his love on you before the foundation of the world. He chose to love you and save you through no merit of your own. Unconditional election. Why? In order to highlight the glories of his grace. That's what Ephesians keeps saying, right? To the praise of his glorious grace. God has graciously given us every spiritual blessing in Christ. Forgiveness of sins, peace with God, redemption from sin, new life through the indwelling spirit, adoption into God's family, future resurrection, eternal life with God in glory. We've been given such grace. God saw our need and he, he lavished, lavishly met that need through Christ. And so let us humbly praise him and thank him. This parable should, should help us put to death pride. Right? May we put to death all pride. May we put to death all self-righteousness and realize we are those poor beggars. We are those, those pitiful workers that didn't have anything really to contribute to, to the landowner, but yet he saved us. He saved us by his grace. And so let us put to death all grumbling. Let us put to death all discontentment. We've been given so much. I know we live in a fallen world, and I know we still deal with with sin and suffering. And God is there continuing to give us grace through that, right? So let us be joyful. Let us meditate on the gospel so that the Spirit will produce in us joy and contentment and thanksgiving. Reflecting often on God's grace to us bears fruit for his glory and reflecting often on God's grace to us, the Spirit will use that to empower us to be gracious to others, right? when we remind ourselves continually how gracious God has been to us, it will enable us to be gracious to others. Like we considered not long ago, to forgive others as we've been forgiven. To bear with others as God bears with us. And on and on, right? So that's the first takeaway. Second, let us live with God on the basis of grace and not merit. And again, if, you, if any of you have read Jerry Bridges, you know this is kind of like his his theme that he hits in all of his books. And so I encourage you to write, or it's not right, to read some of his, his works. But this parable is another reminder of it. Let us live with God on the basis of grace and not merit. 
That doesn't mean that we sin so that grace may abound. God forbid, may it never be, Romans 6. It doesn't mean we get lazy and start loving the things of the world. No, as Christians, we should devote ourselves to knowing Christ and making him known. But let us never fall into a merit-based mindset in our relationship with God. This idea that God's love or God's favor varies with me according to my performance. Right? I've shared with you before, I, I can fall into that. I think it's kind of easy for us to fall into and let us not do that. God loves us because he's a gracious God. He loves us because of Christ. He loves Christ. And we're swept into that love. So we keep preaching the gospel to ourselves. Again, we're reminded that our relationship with God is based solely on God's grace to us through faith in Christ. We meditate on the gospel. We revel in God's grace. And as we do that, the Spirit of God will be sanctifying us. We'll want to put to death sin so that we can enjoy greater intimacy with God. So reveling in grace will not lead to to, uh, license with sin. It won't. Reveling in grace will, will cause us to, to, in gratitude and just in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, to put to death sin. To live for God's glory. To, to enjoy that greater intimacy with God. We'll be reminded that the pure in heart will see God. That sin is deceitful. And that sin just robs me of that intimacy with God that I could be enjoying. We'll want to see Christ's kingdom grow. This kingdom that we've been so graciously brought into. We'll want to bring glory to God. So let us live with God on the basis of grace and not on merits. And let us, thirdly and finally, let us rejoice when God graciously blesses others. Let us rejoice when God graciously blesses others. God is a gracious God and his kingdom is a kingdom of grace. We are all sinners saved by grace. And so whether God saves you as a kid who grew up in church or whether God saves a a homeless addict off the streets, either way, they've been shown amazing grace. And so when we hear of God saving people through other churches or other ministries, let us rejoice that God is showing them grace just like he has shown us. Let us rejoice with our brothers and sisters in Christ when God blesses them in this life, right? He continues to lavish grace on us. May we never begrudge or covet a brother or sister's gifts or their families or their opportunities. Let's rejoice with those who rejoice. Let's praise God for his goodness and generosity. And as people who are trophies of God's grace, let us live to the praise of that glorious grace. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we we praise you. Lord, we, we stand in awe of you today. As we consider your, your grace, your, your generosity. Lord, you have been so gracious and generous to us. And all we can say is, is thank you. Lord, thank you. Thank you for seeing our need. Thank you for, for graciously meeting that need through Christ because we could never have met it. 
And Lord, we praise you that you are sovereign and we, we know your ways are higher than our ways and, and, and we don't always understand how you work, and, and, but we, we praise you. And, and we, we, we humble ourselves before your sovereign grace. And Lord, I'm reminded in this parable that how in, in man's sin, in man's pride, in, in man's ignorance, there's, there's a uh, kind of just this vitriol reaction to, get to your generous grace. And we see that, Lord, when people wrestle with the doctrines of grace and, 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 and we start talking about election or talking about being dead in sins and, and you making us alive. And so, Lord, we pray that you will show the power of your sovereign grace and that you'll Help us to continue to, to rejoice in that and embrace that. And then help us, Lord, as we're sharing that with others. May, may people's response be, be humility and, and, and faith and, and joy. And not one of, of um, pride or of anger. Lord, please may, may grace, um, like the hymn says, may, may redeeming grace be our theme, both now and throughout all our days, Lord, until you call us home until, or until Christ returns. Please protect us from ever falling into a performance mindset with you. And Lord, may you continue to show the, the glories of your grace around us. Lord, please save Save the lost around us. Save our, our kids who don't know you. Save our family members who don't know you, Lord. Please be merciful. Save our coworkers, our neighbors. Lord, use us to, to bring them the gospel of grace, to point them to, to a generous God who, is, who, is, who loves to show grace and loves to forgive. May you be pleased to display your grace again and again and again around us and through this church. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand please and we'll sing our praises to our gracious God.